0: to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osborne, a biblical church centered on Christ. Good night. Are y'all awake? All right. Well, I didn't know because it's, it's hard to keep people awake after they just get through eating. So that, that's one of the good things is it, it brings a lot of people, but then they get sleepy. So then I, I've got to keep you awake. So uh, it smelled really good. Uh, I didn't eat yet, and hopefully the ladies prepared a table before me in the presence of the Fellowship Hall. Do what? It, okay, just don't let nobody go down there. That's the key. So, uh, <laughs> I've I've had it done before where they say, oh, we, we got your food, it's in the refrigerator, and then get down there, and then it's gone. And so, I don't know who gets them, but there's like some dude going around during church service and getting them. So, uh but It's good to be back. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them turn with you to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospels uh, tonight. Matthew chapter 26. Uh, I'm feeling it today. The pastor, you know, made me run. For those of y'all that are visiting tonight, pastor made me run a 5K yesterday. And so I, I was okay last night, and this morning I'm getting up and just kind of feeling my legs just a little bit. So uh, if I'm walking around weird and stuff, it's, it's his fault. So, uh, And I'm, I'm still going to get him back. I just don't know how, but I am going to get him back. But um, there was a guy, and, and many of you might have seen uh, this movie. Uh, they made a movie about his life. The guy's name is Aaron Ralston. True story. He was a hiker, climber, and uh, he was, he's, he's hiked all the major mountains, climbed all the ones in Colorado, the 14ers or whatever. And so uh, he's a professional, professional climber and stuff like that. He was hiking in Blue John Canyon in Utah, and uh, several years ago, and it, it, Blue John Canyon for him was nothing. I mean, it's it's you know not like one of the big mountains in Colorado, and so uh, he was going. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell his family where he was going. He just went off hiking that day, just for the day. and was going to come back home. In Blue John Canyon, there's a part in the canyon where the canyon wall is a hundred foot tall on either side, and you're going through. Uh, This this canyon one part he jumps up on this rock and does a move that he had done Thousands of times before and this 800 pound boulder Rolls over and flips over on his right arm and pins his arm to the canyon wall 800 pound boulder He's in the middle of nowhere None of his family knows where he is nobody So he is stuck there He has his backpack, he has one bottle of water, 12 ounces, he has two protein bars, and that's it. I mean, you know, a a utility tool, he's got a a rock climbing rope, that was about it, and a camera. So he sets it, he can't do anything, he's tried to lodge it out, he he was also an engineer, so he tried to, you know, rig up a pulley system to try to pull that boulder, couldn't do it, it's 800 pounds, and he's doing it with one arm, so there's no way. Day one goes by, he's still stuck. Day two, still there. Can't can't get it out. Day three, at day three he finishes his water. There's, he tried to ration as long as he could. There's no more water. He's out. He's eaten both of his protein bars. Nothing. Day four rocks along, and he realizes I've got. I, ha- I have to do something. I, I have to get out of this. So he's trying to, you know, do something. He's thinking, man, the only thing I can do is I've got to cut my arm off. And, but, but he can't do it, and, and it, it, won't, it won't work. And so by day five now, he knows the next day, without water, he's dead. So he's, he has to do something. So in all this testing and things that he's tried to do, he realizes he's got to take that utility knife and the utility tool He's got to break his arm. He's got to leverage his arm to break it, to snap the bones, and then cut his arm. And he's practiced by, he's got a um, thing from his backpack, the rubber uh, water hose thing that he has to drink water out of. And so he thought, well, I'll make a tourniquet out of that, a homemade tourniquet, use my my T-shirt to stop the bleeding. So he gets on the camera, says bye to his family. He's thinking he's not going to make this. He... uh, breaks his arm, he cuts his arm off, took an hour to do it using that utility tool. He then makes a tourniquet, cuts the, blood, the bleeding so it's not as bad, it's still bleeding, and uses that shirt. Now he has to rappel down a cliff 65 feet with one arm. Then he has to hike through the canyon seven more miles to get to his truck, so he starts going. He gets down the. He he repels, gets to the bottom. There was a pool of stagnant water. He drinks his first water he's had in two days. Then he starts going down the the, the canyon. Comes up on a family that's from Europe, and they give him his first meal he's had in two days, which was an Oreo cookie. And but still, that family, there's no way that they're going to be able to get him out of that canyon another five miles. His family had figured out where he was by using his credit cards, looking up online his credit cards, and they hunted him down, knew he was there in that area. And so finally, about two miles before his truck, a huge helicopter come, landed in the canyon wall, sat down. Aaron Ralston walked up to the pilot and he said, Sir, can I get a lift? He said, Son, get in my helicopter. And he took him to the hospital. They put bags of IV. He had lost 25% of his blood. uh, Put IVs in him. And he got rehydrated. And he was saved. Now his life has been. There's been a movie. He's written a book. Between a rock and a hard place. He's traveled all over speaking. His life was saved. Because he made a very tough decision. To cut his own arm off. Now I hope. Y'all sit there and say, that is so disgusting. Why are you telling that story? Because I hope none of you ever have to make a decision like that. Uh, I've got a friend of mine in the hospital right now in Weatherford, Texas, because she was bit by a copperhead, and it is going up her leg and it's past her knee, and if it doesn't stop swelling pretty soon, they're going to have to take her leg so it won't get to her heart. I hope none of you ever have to make a decision like that. But I'm going to tell you this. Every single one of you, and us, myself included, every one of us has to make a spiritual decision of that significance. Because here's the deal. Some of you, you've been holding on to something so long, whether it's a sin, a habit, something that is keeping you from Jesus. And everybody in here has to make a decision, what are you going to do with Jesus? And my question for you tonight is, Whatever that is that you're holding on to, is it worth your eternal destiny? Because it will cost you everything. Aaron Ralston could have kept his arm. Guess what? They would have found him dead with his arm. But he made a decision. His life was more important than his arm. I want you to know something tonight. Whatever you're holding on to, Jesus is more important than that. And he wants a relationship with you tonight. But you have to make a decision. And and you say, well, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to wait. Whatever decision you make, it's either yes or no. We're going to look at three people that encountered Jesus before he died on the cross. And every single one of these guys made a decision about what they were going to do with Jesus. I want you to look at the first one. The first one's name was Caiaphas. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, the Bible says this. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. As soon as he said that, they spit on him. They hit him in the face. They kicked him. They beat him with clubs. Now here's the deal. This is probably, this question right here, when the, when the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? It is probably the most ridiculous question ever asked in the history of mankind it's probably the dumbest question you say no but that's good he was seeking he was he was seeking if that was god you know if he, if jesus was god it's not because of the question itself it's because who asked the question see because here's what do you know who this guy was that asked the question are you the messiah he was the high priest do you know who the high priest was back in the day he was the man You talk about spiritually, if anybody should have known who God was, it should have been this guy. You know why? Because he was the guy. Do you remember when Moses and and them were in their wilderness and God told them to set up a portable church building and they had this tabernacle, this tent, and they they had an outer court. That's where the altar was, sacrifices were made. They had an inner court, a holy place. Then they had the place back here called the Holy of Holies. There was a huge curtain to separate the Holy of Holies from everybody else. Nobody could go back here. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where God showed up. Y'all remember that? Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Right here? That's what was back here. Nobody could come back here except the high priest. He could only come one day a year. That was this guy. That was the guy that would go into the Holy of Holies. So if anybody should know God, if anybody should recognize the Son of God, it should have been this guy. He was religious, but he didn't recognize him. Those of you that were here, um, when I shared my testimony last year, um, I shared with you that that I'm a result of a rape. My mom was raped when she was 17. She could have had an abortion, but she didn't. She had me. And so every time I share that story, people always ask me, well, have you ever met your biological father? Have you ever met your biological father? And I always would say no, I mean, because I never met him. And so, because my mom didn't tell me, I was a result of a rape until I was about 20, 21, 22. So it was when she finally told me because she felt embarrassed. She felt ashamed. They didn't talk about that stuff back then. So a few years rock along after she told me that, and I was about 26, 27. And I was down where we're we're from, Brazoria County, 50 miles south of Houston. And um, I was down there. We had a big uh, county fair Uh, Barbecue, cook-off, rodeo, that kind of deal. And I walk in the fairgrounds. As soon as I walk in the fairgrounds, my aunt walks up to me and she says, "Uh, Ronnie, your biological father's here. I said, what are you talking about? She said, your biological father's here. He's right over there. And I looked over there, and he had a black felt hat on. He had dark sunglasses on. And I could tell the resemblance even from a distance. So I walked over to him. Part of me wanted to kick his tail uh, for raping my mom and getting away with it, not not spending one day in jail. The other part of me, I wanted to know if there's any medical stuff, you know, that I inherit or anything like that. So I walk up to him, cold turkey, and I said, "Uh, Ray, and he turns around, and when he turns around, it was like I was looking in a mirror. Same features, same, same nose, same face, everything. He took his hand. And I said, "Yeah, hey, nice to meet you." He said, "I'm Ray." I said, "I'm Ronnie." He said, "Nice to meet you." I said, um, "My mom is Sandra Hill." He said, um, uh, I, "I don't know her." I said, "Her maiden name?" Told him her maiden name. He goes, and then he starts stuttering. Uh, I, 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 no, I don't know. I don't. I I don't. I don't. I don't know her. I said, "Well, I don't know how to tell you this." I said, but you're my biological father. He said, what? So I tell him the story. As soon as I get through telling the story, he takes off his sunglasses. He has blue eyes just like me. I'm the only one in my entire family that had blue eyes. I mean, and it was like I was looking in a mirror right there. Here it was. He had his own flesh and blood. Standing right in front of him, and he didn't even recognize me. Here it is: Caiaphas, the high priest, had the Son of God standing right in front of him. Somebody that he should have known, he should have been tight with, he should have been a yes. This is the Messiah standing right in front of him, and he didn't even recognize him. Let me ask you a question, Miss Religious Person. Mr. Religious Person. If Jesus was to come through these doors, uh, would you be able to pick him out of a lineup? I'm not talking because of the Sunday school pictures that you've seen of him. I'm talking about because, would you be able to pick him out because you know him, because you have a relationship with him? See, that's what I'm talking about. And, and I can't tell you how many times, I, I go to church after church and place after place, and I see a lot of religious people They don't know Jesus. You know the lingo. You know the stuff. You've grown up in it. You're acclimated to it, but you don't know Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. This guy, Caiaphas, was religious, but he had to ask him, are you the Messiah? Many of you are likely, you said, well, how how could he do that? Well, do, do you know how he got his job as the high priest? Let me tell you how he got his job. Uh the Roman governor, Pilate, who we're going to talk about in just a minute, he appointed him. That's how he got the job. He didn't get the job because he knew God. He didn't get the job because uh, of of his relationship with him. He got the job because the governor appointed him his job. And a lot of you have been appointed. My wife was appointed. My wife was appointed when she was 10 years old. Her mother woke up one Sunday morning and said, Honey... We're going to take you and your baby brother down to church and we're going to get you baptized today. Took them down to church. My wife said, okay. Took them down to church. She's 10 years old. Baptized her. Baptized her baby brother. They had nothing to do with that decision. Her mother made that decision for her. It wasn't until my wife was 26 years of age that she realized she had to personally choose Jesus herself. And she realized that Jesus died on the cross for her, was buried in the tomb, and rose from the dead. So my wife at 26 repented of her sins and gave her life to christ and was saved and was changed and as soon as she was she was baptized you said but wait wasn't she wasn't she was baptized before when she was 10 no she got wet at church when she was 10 you can't be scripture baptized till you saved to begin with and so she was baptized then to let everybody know she was a follower of jesus many of you have been appointed yourself Maybe because your parents told you when you were a little kid, hey, you need to get baptized right now. Come on, Johnny, let's go, let's go get baptized. And so you went and got baptized. You joined the church because the whole family's joined church, so you're going to do it too. Your parents can't make that decision for you. You have to choose Jesus. My son, I love my son. He, he is the son of an evangelist. I tell people about Jesus all the time, but guess what? My son did not inherit his salvation from his dad just because he's a preacher my son had to own it matter of fact I'm going to tell you what I did to my son he came to me when we were outside and uh, we were out feeding the horses and stuff he came up to me one day when he was six he said daddy guess what I said what buddy he said I prayed that prayer I said that's good buddy proud of you I left it didn't say nothing else next year seven years old we're out cutting wood Cuz comes to me, Daddy, Daddy, guess what? What? I said, what, son? He said, I prayed a prayer. I said, that's good, buddy. It's awesome. Proud of you. Left it. I didn't say anything else. Year later, eight years old, I'm preaching in Oklahoma. He's sitting on the front row. I'm getting to the part where if you'd like to invite Christ to come to your life, you pray. He wasn't writing. He wasn't talking notes. He wasn't doing anything. He was zoomed in. I said, and if you, you want to pray that prayer and you want to commit your life to Christ, you pray this with me. He prayed it out loud in front of everybody. He prayed, and then as soon as I said, if you pray that prayer, look up at me. He was like, I mean, just try, sticking his chin out. Just, do you see me? Do you, what, do you see? That's what he's doing. And so as soon as I gave the invitation, whoom, he was the first one down. That boy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew why he was doing it. He wasn't doing it because he wanted to get baptized so everybody could see. no. He wanted to give his life to Christ. And he repented of his sins. He was broken about it. You have to choose Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do that. Caiaphas was religious. He was appointed. Well, let's look at the second guy. See what he did with Jesus. Skip over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 29 so they took Jesus, okay, after he was before Caiaphas, they said, okay, they beat him and all, they took him there and took him straight to the Pilate, to the governor, who appointed Caiaphas, okay? So that's who Jesus is before now, in John chapter 18, verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, uh, we would hand him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge by him your own law. You know what Pilate tried to do? The ultimate politician tried to pass it on somebody else. Tried to please both sides of the fence. He's like, no, I, I'm not going to make this decision. Y'all do this. And God kept coming back to Pilate. No, Pilate. Not what, what everybody's going to do. Pilate, what are you going to do, with my son Jesus? And he kept trying to put it off and put it off. So you know what he did? He heard Herod was in town. So he sent Herod. All right, well, let, well, let's let Herod take care of him. Send to Herod. Herod had fun with him, put a rope around him, crown of thorns shoved in his head, sent him back to him. So God kept coming back to Pilate. No, Pilate, not what is Herod going to do, my son Jesus? What are you going to do, my son Jesus? And he kept putting it off and putting it off. And he's like, uh, "Hey, what about this contest? Y'all always, you know, we give out one criminal. Do uh, you want Barabbas, who's a murderer, or how about Jesus? Which one y'all want?" So they said, uh, "Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus." So he kept trying to put it off and put it off and put it off. And his wife said, hey, uh, Pilate, you better watch out with this man, Jesus. I had a dream about him, and you do not want to mess with him. And he kept trying to put it off. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll have him flogged." He's trying to compromise now. He said, we'll have him flogged." So he had Jesus flogged 39 lashes, one after another, shreds of meat hanging off of him. He's like, okay, that, that's good enough, right? How about that? They said, no, crucify him. God kept coming back and said, No, Pilate, what are you going to do with my son Jesus? And he kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, he's like, Hey, look, look, appeal to his sympathy. Look, he's done nothing wrong. They said, No, you crucify him. And then what'd he do? He said, I wash my hands of this man's blood. You do with him what you want to do with him. Pilate tried to not decide. And that's how a bunch of you are in here. You've put it off. You've tried not to make this decision. And you put it off again and again and again and again. And God keeps coming back to you. No, not what is your spouse going to do. No, not what is your neighbor going to do. Not what so-and-so here at church going to do. No, what are you going to do with my son Jesus? What are you going to do with him? You said, oh, maybe. I'm going to think about it. That's a No. It's either yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, or no, I'm not. It's that simple. There was a guy. This is a true story, in the Associated Press. A guy named Petros. He lived in Greece. Petros got thrown in jail in Greece for. And and y'all gonna, it's gonna blow y'all's mind about this. He got thrown in prison for 48 hours. No, for uh. Six months, and I'm going to tell you what he did. He married two women in 48 hours. <laughs> I, I wish you could see what I'm saying right now. <laughs> the, there are women that don't even know who he is. They're getting mad at him. I mean, they're, they're ready, just like, hair is raising up on the back. They're just ready to beat the snot out of him. Like, what would what, what, Yeah, let me tell you the story. Y'all are going to get really mad after I tell the story. All right. Here's what he did. Y'all ready for this? This guy, Petros, 29 years of age, he goes to marry his first wife in a little suburb in uh, Lima, I think is the name of the town. Goes and marries her. And, and y'all have to watch me because these right here are very important to the story. Okay? So he goes to, marries this girl, the first girl in Lima, goes on the honeymoon with her. Are y'all watching? On the way to the honeymoon, the car mysteriously breaks down. So they're on the side of the road. So they're they're on their way to their honeymoon. So to the hotel and stuff. So he's like, "Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Um, I'll put you on a bus. I'm gonna get this car fixed, and I'll meet you down, and you don't have to, you know, you know wait and stuff like that." And she's like, "Okay, oh, hey, okay." Oh, hey. And so she gets on the bus. So she gets on the bus. Are y'all watching me? The car mysteriously starts again, starts working. He gets in that car, drives back to Athens, marries his second wife within 48 hours. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> When he gets married to her, he goes on the entire honeymoon with her, does not call the first wife ever again. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. The women are in here going like, What are you talking about? He did what? Now, and then, listen, so the judge, the judge is hearing this whole story, okay? So the judge looks at this 29-year-old kid. He goes, man, Petros, what were you thinking? He said, judge, and I quote, both families were putting unbearable pressure on me. So I decided to marry them both so as not to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> Look, I've, I've, they're mad, and they—I'm telling that it didn't even happen to them when they're mad. Listen, I'm going to tell you, would, would that make you mad if your spouse did that to you? Mar- married one person, then went on the honeymoon, with the second one and the whole time didn't call you, nothing like that. I'm going to tell you something. If my wife would have done that to me, I'm just going to tell you all straight up, somebody's going to go to jail that night, and it's probably going to be me. Yeah, don't, don't have, oh no, Brother, brother I, I would just, I would pray, I'd pray for them, I'd pray. No, you wouldn't. I'm going to, you get off your spiritual high horse, and I'm going to just tell you right now, somebody's going to jail if, if somebody does that to me. I, I'm, I'm going to be on the show Cops. You, you know that show Cops and helicopters flying over the house, spotlight down? That, that would be me. Not, not the rest of y'all? No, because y'all are too spiritual for that, aren't you? No, that, that, would you not be doing that? You would go crazy. You know you would. I'm telling you something. I, so we, I, we would do, why would we do that? Because we don't want anybody doing that to us because it says that they don't love us. They're not loyal to us. They don't care about us, right? Why do you think you can do that to Jesus? If you don't want anybody to do that to you, why do you think you can do that to Jesus? He loves you more than anybody. Gave his life, his blood for you. So you could have a relationship with him. But what do you want to do? You want to try to please both sides? You're going, to, no, I'm going to you know, serve Satan. I'm going to do my stuff over here and do whatever I want to. Live my life viva loco, blah, blah, blah. But then I'm going to come on, I'm going to do my little church gig. I'm going to show up, and do church Sunday. i pray to the Lord, hallelujah. And then go do it. No, you can't. You can't serve both. It's one or the other. It's I'm going to commit my life to Jesus or no, I'm not. It's that simple. Can't play both sides of the fence. Pilate tried to not decide. And if you put it off another day, you say, I'm going to think about it, maybe, I'm going to wait. That's no. Just so you know, that's how God views that answer. He views it as that you're saying no to him. It is yes or it is no. The last guy, the encounter of Jesus is my favorite because this guy gives me hope. And y'all ready for this guy? So they take Jesus after he says, I'll wash my hands of this man's blood. You do with him what you want to do with him. They took him and put him on top of that hill and nailed him to a cross. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. And as he's hanging there, there's a criminal on one side of him and a criminal on the other side. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Luke 23 Verse 39 says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. He said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, said, don't you fear God, he said, since you're in the same sentence and we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, looked at Jesus. He said, Jesus, and he said this. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him and said, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You say, why? Why, why are you thinking?" Jesus? Because this criminal, we, we don't know what he did. Whatever he did, it was pretty bad. I mean, it, it was bad enough for him to get executed uh, by the Romans and to be nailed onto a cross. Okay, so are we on agreement that he did something bad? So this guy, who was horrible, he went to heaven that day. Thank you, Lord. Th- thank you, because that means somebody like me that's a sinner. I, get to, I, I can go to heaven too. You say, well, then how did this thief on the cross, how did he get to go to heaven? What did he do? I want you to see something big. It's a huge theological truth right here, okay? Are y'all ready for this? Huge theological truth. I want you to see about this guy. You look in the scripture there. You look before, you look after it. You look in any of the gospels. Do you see this guy doing one good deed? Did he do one good deed? No, he was on the cross. He was dying on the cross. Didn't do anything to pay for his sins. Didn't go to church one time. Didn't help one little old lady across the street. He didn't give one dime to the offering. And he went to heaven that day. What what does that say? Jesus is letting us all know. Guess what? It's not based on our good works and our good deeds that we get to go to heaven. It is based solely on Jesus paying for our sins on the cross. You say, well, how did he pay? What did he do? How did he do that? Do you see the two things that he did? Look what he did. He admitted his sin. He was repenting of his sin. He was saying, "Hey, he told the other criminal, "We're getting what we deserve." He's, he's repenting of it. He said, "We, we do th- we deserve this." And then guess what else he did? He believed in Jesus. Everybody else, tuck- and tail running, disciples all running, all, no, nobody was around. Everybody's hollering at Jesus, crucified all that stuff. And what does he do? He calls him and admits that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. So he believed and he repented. Thank you, Lord. Because guess what? I can't do enough good deeds to take away my sin. I, I can't. There's no way. You can't either. You can't go to enough churches. You can't go to enough revivals. You can't be baptized enough. Nothing. It's only what Jesus did on the cross. That man... Repented and believed and went to heaven. Some of you are sitting there saying, Ronnie, but you don't know. God's not going to forgive me my sin. I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life. And there's stuff that people in this church have no clue of the things that I've done. Hey, uh, that guilt and stuff that you've been dealing with for a long time, I want you to know something. Jesus forgives all sin. I read a story about a young girl in her early 20s. She came stumbling in the back of a country church out in the middle of nowhere. They were singing, and during the, during the singing and stuff, she comes in the back, and this young girl had been involved in everything. She had been involved in drugs, alcohol, prostitution. You name it, she had done it. She had a horrible home life, and it just as a result of all that, she got involved in some bad stuff. And that's where she ended up in her life. She come in the back of that church, still in the back row, and she sees all these people smiling, having a good time, praising the Lord. Preacher gets up, tells how God loves you, cares about you, wants to change your life. Jesus died on the cross for all your sins. If you want to repent and turn from your sins, he'll save you and change your life. That young girl comes forward, 21, 22 years old, gives her life to Christ, repents right there, and is changed. I mean, her countenance changed that night at the altar as soon as that took place she left her lifestyle of the drugs the alcohol the party and the prostitution she left it all N- did not go back she started she was in church every time the doors were open from then on sunday morning sunday night wednesday night months this was going on people started seeing change in her life so some ladies came to her and said hey we are needing a, a children's Sunday school teacher for Sunday school. Would you teach the children's Sunday school? She says, I, I didn't grow up in church. I don't know the Bible. I don't know, I don't know the Bible stories. I wouldn't be a good teacher. They said, here, we got a book. You can teach them. You can learn this, the stories with them. She's like, okay. So she gets there and starts teaching the little children's Sunday school. And she starts telling them the stories about Noah and Abraham and Jonah and well. Starts telling them all these stories. Well, Ends up, not too long after that, the pastor's son saw this girl in the change. He, she caught his eye, so he asked her out on a date. They ended up going out on a date, ended up falling in love. Pastor's son ended up asking her to marry him. She said yes. <clears throat> That's when all the troubles <clears throat> started in the church. See, because half the ladies in the church didn't think she was good enough To marry the pastor's son because of her background her past the other half of the lady said no look at the change look she's teaching sunday school she she doesn't miss she's left that lifestyle and they got in this big argument whether the pastor's son should marry this girl or not so they decided to settle real spiritual like you know how they did it church business meeting (laughs) gonna vote on it oh yeah so y'all know what happens People come out of the woodworks, hadn't been in church in 10 years, because they get to vote on something. So they come, church packed out, they're going to vote on this. So they have the pastor's son, the young girl, his fiance sitting right beside him, and all these ladies start throwing her past up in, in, in her face, and say, yeah, but y'all, she was a prostitute, she was involved in drugs, and alcohol, she did all this stuff, she did Pastor son, he'll he need to be married to her. And then all the other ladies getting up saying, yeah, but look what she did. She started, you know, her life's been changed and blah, blah, blah. She gave her life to Christ. All this stuff. And so finally, that little girl, she just breaks down crying on the front row. Pastor's son can't take it no more. He gets up in front of everybody. He says, my fiance is not the one on trial here tonight. The one on trial that you have put on trial is the blood of Jesus. Does it forgive sin or not? When he said that, people all over the auditorium started crying. Because they realized they had put the blood of Jesus on trial. I want you to know this. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you've had an abortion or if you paid for a girlfriend to have an abortion. God forgives all sin. God will forgive every sin that you've ever committed. I don't care if you've committed stuff in Vietnam that your wife doesn't know about. I don't care what you've been involved in. I want you to know God forgives all sin. And he loves you and wants to change your life tonight. But the deal is, you have to make that decision. Your parents... 40 years ago 50 70 years ago they can't make that decision for you you have to choose jesus you have to make a decision what are you going to do with jesus and my question for you and there are many of you sitting out here that that thing that you're holding on to just like aaron ralston he could have kept his arm but what you're holding on to is pride Because you're worried about what everybody in the church is going to think because you've been a member of this church for 40, 50 years. And you're going to think, what are they they going to think if I come forward and do this? They're going to be excited that you settled it and nailed it down. But I'm going to tell you this. Your pride, is not worth your eternal destiny. Cut it loose so you can be free like Aaron Ralston was. You can be free spiritually. If that's never happened to you before, you've never made that decision, and God has kept coming back to you, what are you going to do with my son Jesus? Tonight might be your last chance to make a decision for Jesus. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. In just a second, you say, how? I'm, I'm going to ask you to do just what the thief on the cross did. What do you do? He repented and he believed. If you're willing to do that, Right where you're seated, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer, blessing the food. I'm talking about you doing what the thief did. If you're willing to admit that you've sinned against God, God, please forgive my sin. God, I, I admit I've sinned against you. I turn from my sin. I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, my Savior. If you've never done that before, and you want to, you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now. Can you do me a favor? Can you give me two minutes? Nobody getting up, nobody leaving. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? With heads bowed, eyes closed. He say, Ron, that's me. I've never done that before. And I, I want to repent and believe in Jesus. I want to commit my life to him. If that's you, I'm going to pray that prayer. And right where you're seated, you can pray with me and invite him into your life. Pray this prayer if you've never done this before. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for down on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you, call you out. I just want to pray for you. If you're here tonight, you say, Ronnie, for the first time in my life, I said yes to Jesus. It's not my parents making this decision, not somebody else, not my spouse because we were getting married. I made this decision to follow Christ. If you just prayed that prayer with me, with just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now let me catch your eyes? Say, Ron, that's me. Yes, sir. Anybody else in this section right here? Yes, sir. Anybody else right here? Say, Ron, that's me. I just pray that prayer. Got you, buddy. Anybody else here? In this section here. Okay, over here on this side. You pray that prayer, just look up at me. Let me catch your eyes. All right, in this far section over here. All right, well, just those of you that prayed that prayer, just keep looking up at me just for a second. Just those that prayed the prayer. I want you to understand something. According to the Bible says, God has forgiven you. He's cleansed you of everything you have ever done. And not only that, he's come to live in you, and he'll never leave you. you. Say, okay, so what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to do exactly what the thief on the cross did. He publicly acknowledged Jesus in front of everybody. Every, and, and, hey, I'm going to tell you something. You say, well, it's a private thing. No, it's not. Every guy that we talked about, they made a public decision, yes for Jesus or no for Jesus. Publicly, publicly rejected Jesus in front of everybody. Caiaphas, publicly, the religious guy, publicly rejected Jesus in front of everybody. The thief on the cross in front of the whole world walking by publicly said, I believe you are the Messiah. We are to take a public stand for him. And to identify with him. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's your first opportunity. Here's what we're going to do. In just a second, we're going to stand all over this building with heads bowed and eyes closed. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, uh, Beecher, w- would you go ahead and come on up? He's going to lead us in singing. All of you that prayed that prayer and you invited Jesus to come to your life, you come to me. I'll be right there. Pastor, would you go ahead and stand up? Pastor will be right there. we got another pastor, Brother David. Would you be over here, Brother David? He'll be right over here. I'll be here. You come to one of us. All you have to say is, hey, I prayed that prayer with Ronnie. You say, what are we going to do? We're going to introduce you to a person called an encourager. Encouragers, would you all look up at me real quick? Deacons, when we stand, if you're a deacon, encourager, when we stand, I pray, I say amen. He sings, you step out come and stand on that front row right there facing us. And we're just going to introduce you to one of these folks. You take them to the encouragement room, pray with them, and give them that material. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible because you started a spiritual journey with God tonight, we will to help you grow and get to knowing, okay? So when we stand, I pray, I say amen, you step out and come. We'll be right here waiting for you. Could you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed. As soon as I say amen, you step out and come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See so things you come on right now. Bring Deacons come help me to you, please. the cross where your love poured out and bring me to my
1: knees, Lord, I lay me down, and rid me of myself. here I
0: come quiet my soul come on right now if he's not too late step out cover redemptions here
1: your everything I once held dear. I counted all its loss. And lead me to the cross where your love poured out. And bring me to my
0: At the back, can you hear me? I'm gonna be at the back uh, after church is over. with, It's not too late. You walk out of this place and it's too late. I mean, you don't know. You get in a car, you could die on the way home, and it's too late. It's not too late right now. You can come to Jesus tonight, and I'll be waiting right back there for you. And, uh, Pastor, okay. All right. And God's been speaking to a bunch of you since Sunday uh, about, and I, I talked to several of you uh, after church and down here and all that. But you need to, you need to get plugged in. And, uh, and God's led you here and you keep putting it off. It's time to quit putting it off. It's time to obey the Lord. So I'll tell you what I want to do. If you would like for me to pray for you about that, I'd be glad to do that. That God will give you the courage to take care of that tonight. So could you do me a favor? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes as he continues just to play acoustically just for a second? If that's you, you say, Ronnie, our family, we need to be plugged in church. We we need a body of Christ that's encouraging us and that we can encourage others and that we can serve. Listen, this is not just a check-in to church and you are called to serve. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're retired. You are called to serve until you die. So then we'll be serving the Lord in heaven. We'll have new bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So for those of you that you say, Ronnie, God's uh, speaking to us. And, and I, I just want, would you just pray that we'll have the curse to take care of this tonight? Can you kill that light just so I can see, folks, please? So with heads bowed, eyes closed, say, Ronnie, that's me. Would you pray, pray for me and my family that we'll take care of this tonight? Would you look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? If, if you'd like me to pray for you. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Over here, yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? So, Ronnie, God's leading us here. I just need the courage to come. We need to get plugged in. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anyone else? Okay, buddy. All right, for those of you that looked up, I'm going to pray for you. And, uh, you just, when I say amen, just sing us another verse. And uh, we'll be right here waiting for you. And it's time, let's say, hey, it's exciting because that's a new chapter in your family, a new chapter in your life of serving the Lord and being plugged in with, with other believers in Christ. Because that's what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, that we are to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So let's start encouraging. Let's start using those spiritual gifts that God's given you as a believer in the body of Christ. Because you're not made just to sit on the sidelines. You're made to be plugged in, to be used to God. So, Father, for those that have been struggling with that, God, I pray you give them the courage to get off the fence and get in the game tonight. Use them for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As he sings, you come on right now.
1: So you heard a deep broken then.